First of all, guys, thank you so much for joining today. Um, sorry for the slight delay, um, I guess, getting all the tech lined up these days and making sure that um, everyone who's trying to get on can get on. Some people are having trouble connecting to Zoom this morning. Um, the joys of Zoom, I guess. But I want to first of all say thank you so much for, for joining. I hope I can bring you some value today. I, I, I do these uh, events because I believe with all my heart that entrepreneurship is the answer to a lot of our problems in the new normal of the COVID-infused world. My personal mission and that of my uh, platform is to help one million people start a business of their own and anyone that is uh, running a business today to never feel alone and to have, have some help and some support. So that, that's, that's my mission. Um, I, uh, what, what we'll do today is we'll, we'll, I'll, we'll run through, I'll quickly share with you um, the agenda which was all part of the event original schedule. Um, and so if, uh, as I explain things, at the end of the section, if you have any questions, um, please ask, ask them and then I'll, I'll answer the questions in the comments. So if you have questions, please ask them in the comments. And um, if there's anything particularly profound, I'll, I'll bring you in uh, to chat about it. Um, we only have a short amount of time, actually. I know it's a two-hour event, but I, I know how these things go. If we get it right, it will go quickly. So, um, so I'll, I'll try to whip through all the stuff that I think is useful to you. But um, I just want to say, you know, you guys can always contact me later if you if you need more information or any particular uh, element has been missed that you really you really need to know. So, um, I will just say I'm used to doing these things face to face or in a in a in a room. Uh, so it's quite weird doing it on Zoom. So um, I've tried to make it interactive today, um, but your feedback is welcome and your patience is needed sometimes if I jump from window to window. So um, let, let's get going. I think the first thing I'll do is uh, share, well, um, yeah, I think I'll share the screen. Let's see if this works, guys. So hopefully you can all see my screen now. Can you all see my screen? Hopefully you can. Okay, so, um, I think, uh, as I just mentioned, if you guys want to drop a comment about who you are and what you're about, I always love the quote from Henry Ford uh, when he talked about his clients and getting to know them. You know, he said, if I'd asked my customers what they want, they would have said a faster horse. And so, um, but I, I do think it's important to get feedback from, from people. So you guys are my client um, and I want to know what you guys need and what you're about. So feel free to, to share, with, share with me and, and the community what you're up to. As I mentioned, I really believe entrepreneurship is the answer to the new normal we're all going to be facing. And I feel a personal responsibility to encourage entrepreneurship and, and, and help people that don't know how entrepreneurship works, uh, figure it out. And those that have an inkling that, that perhaps they want to be involved in this universe, um, get, get some support and training to, to deliver on their life's purpose. If you want to reach out to me at any point, I have a lot of content on YouTube that might be useful. Of course, you can reach me through my website. You can always come and listen to our podcast show, The Good Luck Club, and, and I'm pretty much all social handles at Simon Squibb. Now, uh, this event today is free, and I know a lot of people will, will tell you um, that uh, if something's free, it has no value. I hope to prove them wrong today. Um, you can let me know. But I know that uh, certainly if you give stuff for free, people don't always realise it has value. So the smart ones, the clever entrepreneurs, they realise how powerful free can be. If you look at businesses today that are doing really well, based on the concept of free, um, you, you only have to look at things like 
Facebook, for example, that allows people to use it for free and how, how successful it can become. Now, I, I, I don't like Facebook particularly as a model. I'm not a big fan of their end game. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that today in today's event, um, thinking about the long term, um, what you're trying to achieve. And, and, but I do love this idea of smashing limiting belief systems where people have got this idea in their head that free is bad. And if they don't charge for something, it has no value. And I'm gonna hopefully prove it wrong uh, today. I also want to smash things like this. You know, I don't believe this is true. The harder you work, the luckier you get. Um, this is a saying that, because I have a podcast called The Good Luck Club that people throw at me a lot. And it's absolutely not true. I personally got luckier in business when I worked less hard. So working hard, which is what you see in a lot of these guru events, um, in fact, is slightly um, off. So what we will cover today, um, I guess part of it for me is this David and Goliath thing. You know, if you're thinking of starting a business today, you might see Amazon and these other guys as just having, you know, they've done it already. They've dominated the market. You know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, there's no room for you, right? Absolutely there is. The new, nimble, fresh company can actually seriously outmaneuver the big incumbent businesses. And so um, history again and again has proven this. There's some famous quotes from the railway era and Carnegie was quoted as saying that um, he's done everything and that no one can compete with him. Um, how wrong was he? Today, of course, businesses like Google and, and Facebook and so on have completely dominated the landscape and, and now it's your turn. So um, this is the content today. Um, I wanted to, I'm practicing this idea so that hopefully this works, but I want to see um, what you guys, you know, I could focus a lot on different elements um, of this content today. Um, but I want to know quickly from you guys, a quick poll. Um, let's see if this works. Oh, you know what, I can't see the little arrow. Come on, little arrow, where are you? Can't you see the uh, little arrow? Oh. Okay, I had a poll all set up, that's great. I can't make it work. There we go, poll. Okay guys, uh, managed to make it work. If you guys could quickly vote, um, let me know out of the content that I've got listed today, which area is most important to you because I can spend a bit more time on it. So if there's any particular area within this list that is our uh, agenda for the day that, that really uh, resonates with you, then, then please let me know. Then I can make sure that I, I spend a bit more time on the bit that, that matters to you. Okay, a few, few more votes coming in, guys. Any more votes on what is important to you today? Okay, I won't spend too long. Um, this feels like it. How do I? I can't see the arrow. It's so annoying. Okay, guys. Sorry, I'm learning to use the tech, tech stuff, so it's not quite uh, working very well. But um, okay, so it, it, from the survey, um, there's an even spread there from what you guys want to know. 
um, but it, it seems like some of the um, some of the stuff towards the beginning and, and, and the end are important. So let, let me now I know what you guys are, are looking for a little bit more. Let me um, let me try to provide that. So okay, now um, I, I want to use these polls, but it's, it's the, the tech on this isn't brilliant. Let's just see if I can make this work. There you go. So you guys can see what came up. Now, um, just another quick question for you. I, I can tell you a lot about that. When you're getting advice from people, I always feel like it's important to know the person that's giving the advice and get a good idea of what they're about and what they're, what they're aiming to do as far as um, you know, give you insights as concerned. So for example, if I've come from a world of building businesses based on buying and selling property, that's the world I'm going to know and that's the world I'm probably gonna be able to educate you on. So understanding where people have come from um, is important. And so um, I, I have a bit of a story I can tell you about my background that might give you some context to, to my advice. Um, but I wanted to quickly ask before I go into too much detail, some of you might know me and, I, and I'm, I'm just wondering very quickly if, um, if you guys could answer this for me so I understand who knows me and who doesn't and how much information to give you about, about me right now. Yeah, it really helps me if you participate in the polls, guys. So if you can, that would be really great. Then I know um, what, what to do for you today. Okay, great. Thanks very much. All right, so it seems like um, some, most of you guys need, need to know a little bit more about me. So, so let, me, let me tell you a, a quick story. So just as a basic, on a basic level, I, I have started 17 companies from, from scratch. I have um, per personally invested in 66 startups to date. And my, my, my journey started at 15 years old when I, when I left home and left school and, and started uh, my entrepreneurial journey. I, um, I, I never, when I was younger, my, my parents, uh, who were both entrepreneurs, never wanted me to be an entrepreneur. They, they basically, every single day since I can remember, you know, seven or eight years old, when I started having conscious memory, they, they basically kind of suggested that I be a lawyer because, because I could talk well and, and that's what they thought would be, would be good for me. And so I grew up thinking I was gonna be a lawyer and then, uh, basically 15 years old, uh, my life completely changed. Now, I just want to mention that one of the things I think I can do today is, is perhaps give you what I think is the kind of secret to it all when it comes to starting a business, what you actually need, need to know um, that's going to give you that secret ingredient. Now, there's lots of events out there and frankly, you know, videos you can watch that will tell you, you know, how, how to build a business. And, and I want to do something a little bit different a little bit more interactive. And one of the things I know for sure that, you know, when I, when I started investing in startups and trying to figure out exactly how some startups were successful and some weren't, why that was, I, I really uh, dug deep into, you know, researching businesses and people behind those businesses. And I, I discovered something. So for example, um, one of the people I, I looked at 
quite carefully was was Bill Gates. Now, Bill Gates is well known as you know a, a, an entrepreneur who who co-founded Microsoft. Um, but the history of how he got into Microsoft is is quite fascinating. So, of course, he was at Harvard. Again, most people know that he um, he dropped out of Harvard. But what people don't really understand is at that moment when he dropped out of Harvard, how many people actually told him he shouldn't do that. And a lot of his friends who, this various interviews, if you dig around, you can find, basically said at the time they thought he was crazy. They told him not to do it, stay in Harvard. The terminology from his own parents was, you know, you finish Harvard, you're set for life. You really don't need to, um, you know, you don't really need to uh, uh, worry about life if you finish Harvard. But of course, we all know he dropped out anyway. Even Harvard themselves, you know, at the time, they didn't want people dropping out, so they removed Bill Gates from all their uh, uh, literature as kind of a dropout, is how they worded it next to his name. And uh, it certainly wasn't a good thing. Um, but later, history gets rewritten. So Harvard later, of course, they're like, did you know Bill Gates went to Harvard? Um, and they leverage it for all that they can. Um, but of course, um, it's all now part of his story, as if it's a positive thing, but for Harvard at the time, it wasn't. But what was interesting with Bill Gates is that he, um, you know, although he was told by his peers and all his friends, etc., and even his family that he should stay in Harvard, he, he went for it. He, he quit uh, that and he went and started Microsoft. And I think he's pretty much set for life and not worrying much these days. So, And when you start looking at uh, other people, like let's say Elon Musk, which of course is one of those obvious entrepreneurs uh, that we all, we all know about, similar story, actually. Um, education uh, wasn't his thing, dropping out, but equally he... Uh, he took that a step further and, and for example, when he did PayPal, Elon Musk's his first big successful venture was PayPal. And by the way, he didn't come up with PayPal as an idea. He joined a team that had already started PayPal, Peter Thiel and those guys. Um, so, um, but we'll get into this a bit later about how you don't need your own um, idea necessarily. But, but Bill Gates, he, uh, he basically, uh, sorry, Elon Musk basically um, joined the PayPal team, made personally from the sale of PayPal over a hundred million US and was set for life. So most people, perhaps at that point, would buy a few houses and have rent coming in and, and invest in a few things and, and you know, never, never have to work again. But we all know Elon Musk didn't do that. He, uh, he kind of went again with SpaceX and, and Tesla and, and all of that. So he, um, he basically did what Bill Gates did, actually. He, he went again and, and, and risked what he already had and, and put it all into, into SpaceX and, and Tesla. Now, we all know, actually, that, again, Elon Musk almost went bankrupt. He almost lost all of his money in these ventures and was quoted not so long ago as having to sleep on a friend's couch because he couldn't afford the rent anymore. Tesla was almost bankrupt. Uh, and, and so um, it was almost seen as a, a, a bad decision to, uh, to, to go ahead and do SpaceX and, and, and Tesla. But, of course, we all know now it worked out quite well. Um, but the insights from all of these people and hundreds of people that I've uh, looked into and their histories and their stories, which is one of the reasons I now have a podcast show interviewing people in their stories. It's absolutely fascinating when you get into people's stories is that all of these people that have been exceedingly successful have this one key trait. They're willing to risk it all. And when you take this theory that I'm sharing with you, but I know to be fact, and you realise you start applying it to all the companies that are successful, you start looking at brands like Google, for example, they, um, they don't stop on search. You know, they've, they've, done, they've got search, they're making billions every quarter from search, but they're reinvesting in things that are going to disrupt them and, and diversifying into things like cars that drive themselves. I mean, what's that got to do with search, right? But Google are taking that profit, that success, and they're putting it down again, they're risking it all again. 
and, and, and most people um, in life, as you start to accumulate any sort of success, let's say 110 million from PayPal, your tendency is to hoard it and hold it tight. And that's where you go wrong. That's when you stop innovating, that's when you stop living life, that's when you stop taking risk. And, and that's when um, your success is either limited or, or retracts. And so um, that's the thing I've learned from investing in, in all these startups. Now, I realize that my own success is also linked to this, this, this concept of, of risking it all. But it was forced on me when I was young. My, um, my, when I was 15 years old, my, my parents were quite successful entrepreneurs. They bought property um, in England and you know, rented it out and then bought more property and rented it out and then got mortgages. There was a thing called 99% mortgage in the UK that came into play. People mortgaged, my family included, their properties to the max and then bought more properties. These properties all went up in value because people could get 99% mortgages so everyone bought property. And hundreds of properties um, my family owned by the end of it meant that you know, on paper um, my family was one of, one of the wealthiest in the UK. And then uh, it all changed and the financial crisis ensued and uh, interest rates went up and property values plummeted and suddenly my family lost it all. I can still remember like it was yesterday, you know, my, um, my parents having a pile of keys on the dining room table that we were returning to the bank because the properties were worth less than we owed. And I can remember it quite vividly, um, I'm 14 years old, and this, this will happen. Now, uh, the stress of this whole exercise of pretty much going bankrupt um, hurt my father quite deeply. And the stress of it all um, meant that at 56 years old, he died of a heart attack. Now, this was a very sad moment in my life, but a, a big changing moment also. My uh, father passing away when I was 15 years old, basically suddenly something in my brain clicked. And I suddenly took a whole new direction and realized all the lessons that I'd had from my father up to the age of 15 about working for yourself and how you should build something for yourself and the purpose of life and all these things just suddenly consolidated. And I realized that I wasn't meant to be a lawyer and I wasn't meant to go and work for someone else. I was meant to start a business. And so I told my mother this, she wasn't very happy and she said, you know, under my rules, you're going to school and you're going to uh, do what I say. So I said, okay, I'll move out and, uh, and, and decided I was gonna start a business. And that's what I did. Now. Um, you can watch my TED talk on this if you haven't. I can see most of you haven't. So I, don't go, I won't go into the ins and outs of what happened next, but I started a business and, um, and my basic top line story is that at that moment, thanks to my uh, father, my father gave me a gift. He gave me the gift to fail because I left school and frankly left home. I had no judgment. I could go and fail. I could start a business. It didn't work. It didn't matter. No one cared. I didn't have peer pressure to beat anything. So my first company was a gardening company, not particularly glamorous, not particularly sexy, but no one judged me and I could just go and do it and, and, and make it work and, and make lots of mistakes, which I made loads of mistakes. A lot of them I'll share with you today and I hope that it's useful to you. But, but the point I'm trying to make is that my father gave me the ability to fail. He gave me this, uh, I had nothing so I could go out and risk it, risk it all. And then I realized how exciting risking it all was. And, and so um, I, I learned this, this thing through this whole process of my, my early years. Now, um, my end story is that actually 15 years old, I, I started my own business and at 40, I was able to retire. And retirement for me is having the freedom to do whatever I want every day, regardless of the financial needs. So in other words, I can come on here, help hundreds of people hopefully with uh, starting a business 
and it doesn't, uh, I don't have to charge you. I can, I can do it because I know it's the right thing to do, especially during this time to help people start a business of their own or help people with businesses grow them. And, and therefore, you know, for me, that's, that's success and, and that is what retirement is, having the ability, uh, so is my dog in the background, working from home today, uh, having the ability to uh, help people without needing anything in return. And so um, I, I've, I've reached that, that, that place. Now, there was one thing I wanted to add that might be useful to you as, before we jump into all the, the, the detail of, of starting your own business and growing your own business and so on today, is that I wrote a book about how I did it. And when I wrote that book, I realized there was something missing from it because a lot of it was about how brilliant I was and, and how I did this and how I did that. But the reality of, of certain things in business is that you need luck. And my last company, Fluid, was uh, purchased by the accounts company PwC. Now, frankly, that purchase was luck. I never planned for my company to get bought by PwC. And so there's a huge element of luck there. And, and I think that sometimes this is not talked about enough to help people understand why they're working hard, they're following all the rules, they've done everything that Simon Scribbett said in the webinar, but they haven't made it. You know, so what's missing? And it is luck. Quite often it's just a little bit of luck. Now there is a way to make yourself luckier. There are, it's a complicated uh, thing, but there are three ways to think about how to make yourself luckier in life. The first is you have to really love risk. You have to embrace fear, and we'll talk about it a bit in some of the content today. That's, that's key. The, the second element is you, you need to be persistent. So you need to just push through and, and make things happen. And then the final element, the third element that will make you luckier in business is this concept of knowing your destination. And, and so many people will say, oh, I want to make money, which is fine. But that's not a destination, that's the fuel for the car. So knowing your destination is going to make a huge difference in increasing your chances of luck, along with persistence, along with risk and embracing fear. So um, that, that's my background, that's my uh, quick, quick story. And so, um, so let's, let's get into the content and hopefully I can make the tech work because it's playing around a bit this morning. Um, but let me, um, let me try, okay. So I thought I would uh, just, maybe my story has potentially sent you to sleep. I don't know, I can't tell. Uh, so I'm going to play a quick uh, video. Um, I think you can all see my screen right now. No? Okay. okay. Okay, guys, so um, potentially, let me just share that so that's gone. Okay, right. Let me uh, start off by just hopefully um, playing with video of something that I think that, you know, from a movie I really love called Dead Poet Society. Um, and, and it's just a quick click, let me know what you think of this. to make much of time? Yes. One. Somewhat appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a-flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. <laughs> Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. The Latin term for that segment is carpe diem. Now who knows what that means? Carpe diem. That cease the day. Very good, Mr. Meeks. Meeks. Another unusual name. 
Seize the day. Gather your ghost, but while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No. Thank you for playing anyway. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. I'd like you to step forward over here. Peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. I don't think you've really looked at them. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts. Full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait till it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. So guys, um, you know, to me that, that, that clip sums up really, you know, if you're thinking of doing a business or you have a business, you've just got to seize the day. You've got to uh, make it happen. Um, and I know uh, sometimes lots of life stuff gets in the way, but we will all soon be dead. So um, if you believe in Carpe Diem, feel free to tweet me and I'll retweet you. We should remind people of this today. So let's get into it. I think um, I can't help but uh, want polls to make sure that I go in a direction uh, that will be useful to you guys. But um, how to refine your uh, ideas. Now, I know a lot of you mentioned uh, in your poll that you know, you're looking to figure out the idea piece. I'm interested in, again, trying to make these polls work on this thing. It doesn't work. Slows me down, sorry guys. I'm trying to do the technology. Uh, can you just let me know your status on... Yes, Bella. Can you share with me uh, quickly in this poll, if you've got an idea already, you'll have an idea and, and that's, uh, that's ready to go. Have lots of ideas, can't decide, or I'm, uh, I'm here to get free ideas, which I can always help you with as well. Okay, great, thanks. Um, appreciate that. Okay, so um, look, I think with, with ideas, uh, it's kind of 
interesting to think about things uh, in reverse. So, sometimes uh, in, in business, the idea is, is not the most important thing. So for example, in, in, in my uh, first business, I started a gardening company. And, and well, the gardening company itself was not a brilliant idea. It was pretty basic. I could see that the houses uh, uh, near where I lived were big houses, uh, valuable houses, but they were not well maintained. So I just saw that there was uh, perhaps some work there that needed doing. It wasn't particularly a brilliant idea. And so an idea can start off with, you know, I'm gonna take care of someone's garden and it can turn into, I'm gonna help one million people start a business of their own and make sure that no entrepreneur feels alone doing it. You know, so, um, you know, you can evolve your business idea o over time. And you'll see plenty of companies that have started this way uh, well, they start out with, with one particular thing as an idea and then they evolve over time because the business can change with you. I think for a lot of people, they spend a little bit too much time worrying about market gap, the competition. Um, a lot of people will pitch, I've seen a market opportunity here and I'm going to fill it. And what I always try to advise people is, is to think about things a little bit differently, to think about not what market gap you're going to fill, but what is going to fill your market gap and for you personally what matters and so sometimes people haven't figured this out yet which I understand but you know for, for the for, for what I always think is most powerful thing as an investor when I'm looking at someone's startup is is if someone's got a purpose for doing what they're doing so I was involved in a business that um, could detect if you were going to have a heart attack an hour before it happened and the and the three founders of that business had all had a family member die suddenly from a heart attack where, where they'd known it was coming. They could have taken some aspirin, lied down, gone to the doctors, and, and they would have lived. And so, and I got involved in this business because, of course, my father died of a heart attack too. So the idea that we could have had some warning signs before it happened, and he might still be here today, uh, resonated with me. But, you know, it wasn't necessarily about the market size or the market gap. Um, it really was about the problem being solved. Um, I'm involved right now in a business, for example, where they're reinventing the property agency world. So um, I know there are a lot of people overseas, so I'm not sure if you know these brands like Knight Frank and Seville's, and it's basically agents that sell property. And most of the time, those property agencies are quite, frankly, soulless. They, they, um, they take a listing, they sell your property, or, or if you walk in or go online, you, you sell someone a property. And it's very transactional. And the company I'm getting involved in is every time we sell a property, the profit from that sale will go to solve the homelessness crisis globally. And so to me, that is more than an idea. It's not, let's do a new property agency and, and use tech, uh, which, you know, frankly, everybody needs to use tech these days. Tech's become not a, a differential anymore, in my view. It's just you know, part and parcel of, of what you do. You execute the tech well or you don't. You execute your offline business well or you don't. Um, and so tech is just part of the business. But what I feel really makes a difference is this kind of what I'm going to call purpose non-stop throughout this whole presentation today. And so um, I, I, there are a lot of little things that I'm sure some of you are doing, but I'll mention it anyway. I, I think you know, when, when coming up with an idea or, or, or a business, don't worry about NDAs, for example. A lot of people are like, I've got an idea, but I'm, I'm going to get you to sign the NDA before I share it. And my experience has been that I, I can give you seven ideas right now that are worth a billion dollars, pounds, doesn't mean that they, uh, whoever execute them the best is gonna win. And so no idea is original. Facebook was a copy of MySpace. MySpace was a copy of Friendster. 
You know, n none of these things were that original. It's, it's all about execution. And so that's something to keep in mind around an idea too. Sometimes people spend so long trying to come up with an idea, they don't start something. And sometimes that's, that's the key, you just have to go. You might fail, you might pivot, which is a very popular uh, terminology in startup world, but sometimes it is just about starting. And then if you've got this killer idea, which a few of you said you've got, um, the biggest mistake I see people make is just hold it too tight. And you know, I, for example, have a live show where I say, come on and share your idea. And it's interesting, some people say yes and some people say they won't come and share it. But those that come on and share it, someone pops out the woodwork and says, hey, I could build that for you. Or, hey, I know someone that could be your client. Or, hey, I'd like to invest in that. Whereas if you hold tight and you never share it, trust me, someone else has already got this idea. And if they share it before you, then you lose. And so, uh, I, I, you know, I also think another part of any idea is you, you need a lot of support to turn your idea into, you know, from good to great kind of concept and to turn your idea into something great in a way you, you need to share it and then you need to get every single part of your life lined up behind it so for example I see a lot of people with family issues they have a good idea they're well funded but then their family isn't really supportive so their partner for example is like why are you working so late why well, don't see you anymore you know these sorts of issues you need to line up your, your family life and then I always tell people if you can build a business that en enables you to be authentic so uh, that you can, you know, basically not have to be something else to, to or be someone else to, 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 to run the business. That's why my whole life I've really been involved in, in helping entrepreneurs in one way or another, because I know it and I feel very authentic in that space um, and, and so on. I think uh, I mentioned earlier there's no original idea, but I would also just caveat that do your very best not to copy other people's ideas. It's actually... A big problem for people later in, in business when they have copied someone else's idea. Now, Facebook, as I mentioned, was a copy of MySpace and MySpace was a copy of Friendster, but Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg actually copied the Winklevoss twins. And if anyone's seen a social network movie, you'll know that to be true, you know, and it's a fact, he copied their business. Now, you know, you might argue, so what, he's rich. But if you actually see what's happening to him now in business and in life, he's not having the best time. You know, he's, he's hated by half the world. He's got politicians coming at him left, right and centre. Yes, on the other side, he's got power. But would you want his life? I, I really don't think so. Uh, and, and so karma is, is a bitch, as they say. And, and I think that ultimately, um, it's much better to be original. That's why, right now anyway, let's see how this plays out. Because um, sometimes these people go mental. But Elon Musk is an interesting character for me. Because you know, he, he, um, he saw, for example, uh, the PayPal idea... And he had his own company. He could have easily copied PayPal and, and fought them, but he didn't. He joined up, uh, joined forces with them. Quite often, because a lot of his businesses, like SpaceX, isn't about outdoing everybody else. It's about helping the human race colonize on another planet so that if we get wiped out on this planet, we're on another planet. That's so much bigger than a, a good space company just trying to make money from delivering cargo for NASA, right? You know, so... so um, yeah, having, having that kind of karma piece, I always want to warn people, you know, if you can avoid copying someone else's idea, it's better to join up with them or be original. Otherwise, karma later can bite you. So, um, I think you're all seeing my screen right now, I hope. You see my screen? Yeah. Okay, so, so the conclusion uh, to, to this bit, guys, um, and I'll just see if there's any questions. Um, I'll have a look in the question section at the moment. By the way, I'm still trying to figure out this webinar stuff, so I know I'm a bit jumping around, sorry. Uh, but basically, um, the conclusion to this is, Ideas can evolve over time. 
Okay? Focus on the problem that you want to solve it, it, it personally is more important than a big market gap. Um, and, and dig deep into what matters to you and you'll find an idea. Um, or your existing idea, uh, make sure you, you share it to get it refined and try to reflect on the first points I've just mentioned. And, and do keep in mind that no idea is unique. So you, know, you might think you've got something special, but it's all going to be about execution in the end. So let me see if I can see any questions. If you have any questions at this, this stage, let me just see. Okay, someone asked for an example of destination. Okay, well, um, one, one, Igor, you've asked a question and given an example of destination. An example would be, um, you know, I, I, I've picked a target of one million people to help them start a business of their own, right? So in theory, that's my destination. And, and every time I, I have an entrepreneur in my network, I, I can ask them, are you alone? If they say, no, I don't feel alone, Simon. I've got your access to you, I've got access to family, I've got access to this, I've got access to that. Then to me, that's destination reached. So, uh, and, and that's an example. Again, people get confused. They think petrol in the car, you know, which is money, is the destination. It's not, it's just, I think the destination, I actually have a, I've done a whole separate video on this, um, which you can go to my YouTube channel and watch, but it's on its own, it's a 20 minute video, so um, we won't play it today, but, but basically I talk about how you go, you have a destination, but it, when you get to that destination, you might do something else later. Um, but you've got to have, you've got to pick some, some you know, goal. You don't have a target, you won't hit it, that, that kind of idea, so. So yeah, so hopefully um, I've answered that question. Um, okay, so let's, let's jump to the next one, which is uh, business setup. Now, I do feel like for a lot of people, I don't want to go, I won't bother going into the account side of things too much on this one, because I think, of course, there is the structural needs of a limited company, sole proprietorship and, and stuff like that. I think that's all pretty obvious. Again, you can probably get, go watch a YouTube video about that. It wouldn't be, um, wouldn't be too hard uh, to find out about that stuff. What I want to focus on is what I really more the... EQ piece of this, which is my view when setting up a business, the mistake people make is they, they, they don't pick a side, okay? And what I mean by that is that I think there's three ways uh, that you, you, you get into business. There's three, there's three channels, ultimately, that you, you go down. The first is really this kind of investor track where you are going, I've done this track, where I see someone's business or they've come to me and explain their business. I've fallen in love with the business. Normally, of course, I have to like the founder. There's lots of criteria as to you know, why you would then eventually invest, but I've decided I'm going to be an investor. And, and then I put my money and time into that business. Now, uh, there's some strengths and weaknesses to that model, but that's one way to get into, let's say, owning equity in your own business, or in theory, having your own business. The second way um, is more about, you know, you're the founder of the business, you've got an idea, it's your idea, and you know, you're the chief persistence officer for that idea. Um, no one will ever work as hard as you when you're the founder of the business, keep that in mind. Not the investors, not your team, no one. You as a founder will always be the one that has to work hard, but you're in control of the purpose and the vision. And so, that's the second track. You're a founder or a co-founder, and you know that that's 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 the path you've chosen. And then the third path is partner. You're a partner in the business. So often it's someone else's idea, 
it's perhaps someone else's purpose and, and mission, but you've got involved in that business as a partner, which often means you're operationally involved, and maybe you've got skin in the game, maybe you haven't, but you are ultimately, you're partnering up with someone else's vision and um, purpose. And, and normally when that works well is if that person's purpose matters to you as well. But people get confused about this. So what happens is, some people that are investors, for example, they come in, and I'm, I'm an investor so I can say this, and they start trying to tell the founder to change their vision and mission based on a market opportunity or a way to make extra revenue or because they believe it to be true. And that's when things start going wrong because so you have you know, literally a monkey on your back suddenly. And so investors go wrong. Uh, I think founders of companies misunderstand. Bella, please, I'm trying to do a webinar. Can you be quiet? Thank you. And we, um, you know, we, we, as investors, and I can, again, I am one, so I can say this, sometimes you then, you get a bit confused. And so the key to an investor is your, your money, don't interfere, it's their vision, you have no control. You know, and that, that's the investor track, don't get confused. If you're gonna go down that track, that's cool, but stick to the rules. The second element, of course, as I mentioned, is founder. Again, this, this, this track is, is key. A lot of people, when you're a founder of a company, you get frustrated that you're the one working hard. Let's say you've got people working for you, and you're like, well, they're not working as hard as me. Well, of course they're not gonna work as hard as you. They don't have equity. They don't, they don't own it. Why should they work as hard as you? You know, if you want to make them work as hard as you, then make them a partner, which is the third track. Change the structure. Um, so, uh, but remember, you know, there's some benefit to being a founder, and that is it's your vision and mission, and no one can, can change it unless you let them. And then the final one is, you know, the, the partner thing, as I said, you know, just, just decide which one you are. Now, because I want you to pick up on this, I want to know which one you are, based on what I've just said. So pick a side. Eight of you gone for a wee or what has happened? Where are you guys? Undecided or you gotta think about it? Let me know, okay. But it's good, I mean it's good that you, you know, once you pick a side, so 21 of you are picking a side right now, that, 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 you know, that helps I think, Help, helps you I hope. Um, okay. So, um, I guess uh, within the setting up of a business, there's a lot of other uh, details to think about, and I'll, and I'll quickly run, run through them all. Now, first of all, a lot of people think when setting up a business, it's important to get legal contracts done between partners and so on. And although I agree you know, generally, I also think that you know, my, my lawyer is my lawyer because he said this to me once, paper will always accept ink. And so you can draw up contracts all day long, but if people want to screw you, they will screw you. So I always say, you know, make sure you're doing business with someone that, you know, is decent, that is going to understand that things change, that's going to work with you. And paperwork is important, but that relationship is more important. That paperwork is sometimes pointless. And I have had paperwork, you know, in place and people have still, you know, done bad things. And I've had no paperwork in place and those people have done no bad things. So it's just, it's just you know, getting that sorted out. People get a bit obsessed with equity. So a lot of the time people say, I want 51%. 
because they think that it has, gives them control. And, and equity is not control. Um, people get confused. And so uh, I, think, I think equity to me, I'd rather personally have you know, 5% of Facebook than 51% of MySpace. I mean, I don't like Facebook, so I wouldn't want 5%. But conceptually, you know, that whole idea that you know, it's not about the amount of equity you have, it's about the success of the product and business that you're in. And so equity is important, I think, only for a small business, perhaps. Um, but ultimately, um, you can have a controlling interest and a low equity stake. So I think Mark Zuckerberg now has like 12% of the company. But he, um, it's interesting because my, my colleague, Talia, who's listening, to, she's actually yawning. So I hope you guys aren't yawning. She's my only reference to whether or not this is interesting to you guys or not. And she just yawned. So um, hopefully, hopefully you guys are not finding this boring. Um, but yeah, but, but equity stake and equity, equity elements are very important. Uh, and remember, there's shareholders versus operational control are also two separate things. As I mentioned earlier, when people pick a track, investors don't decide what you do in the operations side. So keep, keep that in mind. But, so paper we're always accepting, 51% doesn't matter. Trademark, I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but trademarking your business does matter. Don't overlook this. We'll get into this later. A lot of people don't do trademarking properly and, and actually very quickly on this because I don't want you to forget this. If you're starting a business, growing a business or have a big business, a lot of people overlook trademark. I have an example of a business that became quite successful at that I, um, I didn't even, I had the name, the URL, the website address, we owned it. And the company registration name was the same as the URL, owned it. And I thought that was enough. I never really understood the trademark world. And then we got a cease and desist letter after the business become really successful. And the, the learning from this was that, first of all, there's a lot of scrupulous people out there that will go and cyber squat your name. If you're doing well, they'll wait to you know, then pounce on you. And I know, I know this happened to Trump in China, for example. A lot of people trademarked his name under different categories and then kind of blackmail you to, uh, to get it. And he had to go and ask the Chinese government to get it for him. So, uh, but trademarking your name is very important. And, and it's overlooked and it's not a big expense, but people do overlook it and don't realize how important it is. And these things in the business setup part of your business, if you don't get these things right, it's like having weak foundations. So, you know, the business I'm talking about, we built it, we grew it, it did really, really well. And then suddenly we were hit with a cease and desist letter, which can bring the whole thing down. Nothing to do with bad marketing, nothing to do with a bad idea, nothing to do with the wrong team, all of those things that people normally talk about. This one mistake almost cost us the whole business because suddenly um, we were told that because we were passing off, which is how they put it, all our past income was owned by the trademark owner because in theory that trademark owner um, had lost revenue to us, people thinking that they, they were us and we were them, so on and so forth. So, so these little things matter. I always tell people to think about the plan for tomorrow because you know who knows what's going to happen, but a lot of the time people think, especially when you're a small business or you have an idea and you're growing it, you're always going to be the one pushing it forward. They don't have a succession plan until they're tired. And by that point, it's quite hard to train someone up when you're tired. Uh, so, so I always tell people to try and think early on about how to, how to replace themselves. In fact, often when I'm hiring people, I, I will hire my biggest weakness first, which is accounts. So you know, whatever your biggest weakness is, um, hire that or have that as a co-founder. And then I always hire someone that has my skills, but maybe not as good as me yet, or, or someone that has my skills. Like for example, I'm, I'm quite good on social media. I'm, I'm quite good at uh, a lot of things. But I get people in to help with those things so that I'm not 
personally having to do it. My experience today, I have the ability to have you know big conversations with big companies and so on. Maybe I'm better spent having that, doing those things than, than, than all the things I can do. So anyway, I try to replace myself as soon as I can. And so, uh, but you've got to think about tomorrow and don't replace yourself too, too slow in the process. Um, prepare for conflict. This is, you know, back to the point I, I say about um, lawyers and, and, and so on. You know, I know, I know, I know for a lot of people, um, it doesn't seem like uh, they're going to have a fight with their partner in life and in business. But we all know, anyone that's married knows, you know, fighting is part and parcel of that, that existence. In business, it's exactly the same. The key is you just be, be ready for um, that conflict. So what I've done that's worked is I had a third party, non-shareholder, non-investor, non-operational person that both of us respected, that if we had a conflict as partners, we could go to that person and, and, have, and get their view so that it would balance us out uh, as partners in the business. So non-executive director, for example, is, is, is very useful in my view. Um, I also have personally lent on the partners of my partner, which is, I do think, sometimes a little bit um, underrated uh, as far as business is concerned. It's quite often two people do business with each other, they get on with each other, they do business together, they start a company. But it's the outside influence that can cause disruption. So, you know, if, if my partner um, doesn't like my business partner, for example, or my business partner's taking me away from my family life, my partner in life might build up some resentment for them, and then they can influence me and my relationship with that person, right? So, so getting your partner involved, getting your partner... Like my partner used to always come along to my AGMs, for example. She used to hear what we were doing, how we were doing it. She'd listen to the feedback from all the investors, all the staff, all, you know. And, and, and because she was involved in those things, she um, felt like part of it and she could understand what I was working on and conflicts and, and so on. And often, frankly, I'm only successful because of my wife, I feel like. Uh, you know, she'd give me feedback that would make all the difference. And so you know, part, your partner really matters, folks, and, and keep that in mind. Okay, um, so the next bit is about uh, thinking generationally ahead. Now, I know a lot of you guys mentioned you, you know, you've got an idea and you're working on it and, and so on. I, I want to just bring something to front of mind on, 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 on this. Um, I, I was uh, pitched uh, an idea by someone that used to work for me um, recently and really, really smart guy. Basically, I, I think anything he puts his mind to, he, he, he would be successful. He is successful. Um, uh, um, and he, he pitched this idea to me. He basically said that... Um, he had noticed that in China, um, in search, the number one search um, in China was around sex toys. And so he reverse engineered it into like, well, people are online in China searching for sex toys. There's 1.4 billion people in that market. Basically, the problem he identified was that there wasn't that many people selling this stuff online, quality um, stuff. And, and people were embarrassed in China to go into shops like they are probably everywhere in the world. Um, and so, and, and no one had taken up the search terminology around these product types. So no one owned um, the words associated with these items. So trying to avoid saying the word dildo, by the way, because it seems inappropriate to say it in a webinar anyway. But, but basically these products were um, being searched for, but no search system on the other side was delivering up the answers to these people. 
So he decided, why don't I open up a, uh, a basically an online um, um, shop for all of this stuff that people could win and then buy these search terms and it would be this massive business. And we talked it through. And, and basically what I'm trying to tell you by sharing this story is that he, um, does he want to be on stage as the kind of um, person in this business having been successful on stage sharing how he did it? And the truth was no. It wasn't, it wasn't really who he was. He didn't really feel... Um, proud of, of this business. In fact, he wanted to do it all stealth, not even linking it back to his own name. So I mean, the end conclusion was, yeah, you can go and do it. Yes, there's a market gap. Yes, you can make lots of money. But but would it be you and would it be fun? And I think part of it is like, imagine later, you know, your children ask you what you do. Would you be proud of it? Would you be a bit embarrassed? You know, like, and I know it sounds strange, but think generational. You've got to really think about these things. And I, I always use another story example, which I use in my interview questions when I when I when I hire people or bring people on board or even when I invest in people in particular I say to people if from this moment let's say today you're 30 years old and uh, I I, uh, I give you all the money you ever want and you can have a house in every major city in the world you have uh, you have um, you have everything you need um, in, in uh, you could ever want you know, not COVID ever throws this all off, but you know you can get into any restaurant you want when you want. Everyone in the world will know your name. You'll be respected as a as a business person. And from thirty to the age of seventy five, you will have the most amazing life, uh, where everyone will want to work with you, respect you, and so on. And then at seventy five, you uh, suddenly are found out to be a fraudster, to be a con artist, to be a bad person. And then a few years later, you die. Do you want to take that deal? And I don't want to say there's right and wrong, but there's right and wrong on my perspective. There's an answer here that's right and wrong from my perspective. I'm always surprised how many people say they would take that deal. And their, their mindset is, well, you know, I have all these years of, of an amazing life. So, yeah, I'll take it for a few years of a, you know, at the end, but it doesn't matter if I'm dead, right? So, but, but my point is, that's basically um, the Murdoch family legacy. So anyone doesn't know the pyramid scheme that Murdoch created, you know. And, and to me, the only thing you have when you die is not money, but legacy. Reputation. And so that's why every decision I try to make personally is always about doing the right thing. I want my son, when he Googles me, if Google's even around when my son really gets into it, you know, to, to see that I, I did the right thing. I might not be perfect, I'm a flawed human being, but ultimately I always try to do the right thing. And I'm not going to rip people off. I'm not going to do something bad if I can help it. And I think that's kind of what thing I want to say within this, this quick section, which is, you know, think generational, don't think, you know, one, one dimensional. And, and do think about, you know, being proud of what you're doing. Um, then the other side of it, the kind of the bigger picture thing is, you know, this, I love this saying, you've got to think, why not think big? You know, a lot of the time I would say to people, you know, I've had small businesses, I've had big businesses. Actually, for me, teams of sizes of, you know, one to six is really nice. It's a really nice size uh, team. Um, you feel like a family, it's really cool. And then you get into, uh, and I've had that, I've got that kind of now. And, and then later I had, uh, I, in my, early in my career, I had a small team and I grew it into like 50 people. Now 50 people is a bit painful because you can't really afford middle management and, and yet you've got quite a big team. So you kind of end up being, you know, 49 people asking you for holiday, <laughs> 49 people asking you for pay rise, 49, and it actually becomes, you know, quite, quite stressful and painful and then you get to the 300 people and actually it can be amazing because you can have you can afford really senior smart people to join you you can have a middle management 
And so I found actually having a big company much easier than having even a small company. I mean, even with a team of six, beautiful feeling. The only problem is if you're not there, things sometimes don't happen. Um, whereas 300 people, it happens if you're there or not. And, 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 and so actually, that's my point about, you know, you've got to think, why not think big? Sometimes it is about like thinking about, okay, a lot of people are scared to have a big company because it sounds like it's more work. It's not, it's the opposite. Yeah, getting there is hard work, but once you're there, you're set. So I have companies today in Hong Kong operating that I don't have to run, I don't own, but you know, it's because I scaled them up, I'm able to do that. Whereas if it was still a team of six, then I'd probably still have to be running it because I'd be one of a you know, key pillar in that, in that, in that business. It's okay for me now for what I'm doing with the podcast show because I see it as my life's work. So that's, that's a different kind of thing. But, but definitely, if you're thinking of building a business, I always say to people, try to make it as big as you can. Yeah. Uh, I believe purpose over profit. Just It's not for everyone, that one. But I do, I do believe that um, it, it really makes a big difference if you're, if you're always thinking about like what I'm doing again today, you know, I, I, I'm investing money doing this webinar, I've upgraded you know, Zoom, I've done all these different things to invest in trying to make it good for you guys. I have no income from that, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm fine with that because my, my purpose is strong. So I'm not thinking about how I can charge you guys for this content, I'm thinking about how I can help you guys do something meaningful and enjoyable with your lives and perhaps help reduce some of the unemployment coming our way by you hiring good people Plus, um, you know, not, not sitting around waiting for a job. So, so you know, but, I don't, but that's why I'm driven by purpose over profit. And if you can get there, it's, it's very inspirational. Um, and then personal brand matters. This is something to think about too. Like, again, I'm talking about my friend who was uh, thinking about filling a gap in China, like I mentioned earlier. But, you know, ultimately, that's, his personal brand will be seriously affected by something like that. And you've got to think about that on a personal front. I have failed in business and I don't mind. And, but it's affected my personal brand. There'll be people that say, well, didn't your last business fail, Simon? So why would I invest in you? you know? and, and, and they're the ones I say, good, well, don't invest in me because you don't, you know. That they, but, the, but the point I'm trying to make is personal brands are very important. So uh, keep that in mind throughout your whole life. You are going to always be you. So whatever you do, whatever you apply your name to, whatever you get involved in, is going to ultimately be part of your brand history and brand value. So keep in mind. Um, and that's why I put in here this generational chat. Okay, um, I think we're, we're, getting, we're getting through it. Um, we're gonna have a toilet break in a minute if you guys need it. Um, and in, in the toilet break in a moment, I'll also be able to answer some questions. I can even bring you in to the Zoom and have a chat if you want. So um, I'll just now quickly talk about the steps to build a business and then, then we'll have a five minute break if you wish. But in that five minute break, I don't need to go to the toilet, so you guys can, but those that want to stay and have a quick chat, I can maybe bring you in and have a quick interaction with you guys and, and, and see if there's anything that I've covered so far that you'd like to have a slightly deeper chat with. So have a little bit of a think about that. So um, let me just talk about the steps to build a company and then maybe you have a little think about the question you might like to ask. Um, let me just one second start this recording I've got going on here. Okay, so uh, steps to uh, building a new business. So it's poll time again. I know you guys are loving my polls. No idea if you're loving my polls or not. I think you are. Okay. So, uh... okay, so I'm interested in what you think. To steps to starting a business. Do you think it's about money? Do you think it's about having a killer idea? 
Do you think it's about experience or do you think it's about having a business partner? What do you think is the most important thing in the steps to starting a business? I always wonder how long to keep going. People are thinking about it. Okay. Quite a big spread there. Um, I'm, I'm very pleased to see that not that many people think it's about money. That, that's great. Um, interestingly enough, my, my view when starting a business, um, none, of, none of those uh, elements that I put on this screen are actually that important. Certainly none of them are first step important. Um, I, I think... There are five things to think about that are more important at the beginning. When you first start a business, um, I don't think money even comes into it until like step six or step seven. I think experience, for example, um, Elon Musk didn't really know much about space. He, a uh, smart guy, can learn it fast, but he... <coughs> Bella, Bella. <coughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry. Bella, can you just tell them to... Um, just stand up in front of them. Um, but, but, but um, yeah, I mean, the experience side can be gained by, for example, hiring people. Sorry, guys, about my dog's barking. I apologise. Um, experience can be about um, you hiring that talent in to help you with the experience or, uh, you know, talking to smart people and, fig and getting the experience downloaded. So I don't think um, experience actually is re really as important as you think. Of course, if you've got life experience... It's useful. Like at 15 years old, I actually started a business that needed good marketing, but I had no training in marketing. But by doing the business, I quickly learned. And so experience can be gained by doing. And for what you don't know, maybe space travel in Elon Musk's case, it's quite technical. I don't know anyone that would be an entrepreneur. So I totally get space. Let's do it and be an entrepreneurial profile. So, um, so you can bring it in as a, 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 and hire it um, and you can learn it um, directly. So it's, it's not as important as you think. Killer idea, which, which is the second answer on here. Again, I, I actually think idea comes, you know, I, I think this is the five steps that you, you know, need to make sure you're, you're thinking about when starting a business. One is, what problem are you solving? Second is, what part of that problem are you able to solve? So in my case, you know, helping a million entrepreneurs start a business, I think I can help with the EQ piece, I can help with the emotional piece. I'm not an accountant, so I'm not necessarily going to help you with the structural piece but but i can but people that can i understand it on a basic level but you know but i know what part i can solve and i think it's the emotional piece um the purpose so in my case again using myself as a reference you know i was 15 years old when i first started my own company i didn't know what i didn't know i didn't know what a mentor was didn't know what a coach was didn't know what the difference of those two was didn't know how to raise money didn't know how to do a shareholders agreement a contract none of it and so i'm really going back to that 15 year old me and helping right that's what i'm doing today in a way um often um, people are in their 30s, not 15, but the point is, you know, that, that's my purpose in life, to go back and help that 15-year-old me. And then I think, actually, ironically, before even money comes into play, you can hire people. And a lot of people say to me, how can hiring be before money, Simon? And ironically, um, you hire the right people, you can raise money. It's kind of chicken egg. So a lot of people um, try to raise money without having a team. And, and then they wonder why they don't raise the money because most of the time people are investing in the team. So it's kind of chicken egg, right? So, so quite often I, I have actually hired people um, with the kind of promise of, of, of things are gonna, we're gonna get funding, for example. 
But even better than that, I've, had, I've hired people that have come in as partners. I mean, in, in one of my companies, um, the person I tried to hire ended up saying, look, I'll, I'll buy some equity in the business and become a partner and then um, work at the same salary rate as you, Simon. And for the first six months of most businesses, I take no salary, at least uh, six months. Often three or four years I've been involved in some businesses without taking any salary. So, you know, if you get the right people on board who are motivated behind your purpose, you can actually bring them on board and money is not going to be the reason. Don't get me wrong, I know a lot of people need to earn a living, but the ones that are kind of the performers in this world, um, what I term as the nines and tens in, in business, they, um, they, they tend to, to be quite self-funded uh, self, um, and, and quite structurally sound. And so you can actually bring these people in and money's not their first port of call. Programmers are like that these days. You know, they'd rather have 5% in Google as you're building it than you pay them some fee that you know, may or may not last over time. And then um, the f fifth step, so the first is solve a problem, second is what part of that problem you're gonna solve, third is the purpose and the reason why you're involved in that problem, the fourth is hire people, the fifth is marketing. You can actually start marketing your business with no money. Thanks to social media, you can do it all for free pretty quick, right? So, you know, yes, it might not be like billboards on the streets or like a TV commercial or a well-polished YouTube video, but it is marketing. And so a lot of people wait until They've got money or they've got um, experience. And by the way, even a killer idea piece, you know, that idea can be, can be average, you market it, people give you feedback, you tweak it, and then it becomes a killer idea. Again, you know, if you've watched the Social Network movie, Mark Zuckerberg did not have Facebook from day one. You know, he had this idea and then he was sitting in a room one day, oh, you know, why don't I do a news feed? Why don't I do, are you single or not? You know, and he added on these features from a basic idea, he made it a killer idea. And so I think that, you know, that's something um, to keep in mind. Um, so, it. so, my conclusion to this, before we have a quick break and a Q&A where you guys can come on and, and have a quick chat if you like, if anyone wants to, raise up your hand. If you want to come on and have a chat or ask a question, just do it in the Q&A and I'll read it in a second. But, um, I think the conclusion is um, idea is not first. This is not the first thing necessarily. I think it's um, what problem are you going to solve is probably the first thing to think about and then the idea hopefully links back to that. Money is not even in the top five. Personal brand or business brand. This is just quickly something I will mention. I think for a lot of people when they're building a company, they, they, um, they, they get a little bit confused about this. Now, I... Uh, I want to... Um, sorry, I'm just checking my... Yeah, I, I will talk a little bit more about personal brand or, or business brand a bit later, but, 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 but basically you've got to decide whether or not you are going to lead the company yourself as your personal brand or whether you're going to lead it as a company brand. Actually, my new venture, I'm doing both. So I've got the Simon Squibb stuff, which we're doing today. This is me, this is my brand. And then I've also got the Good Luck Club, which is a, you know, a company, I guess. Um, and we just uh, were the official podcast partner for Hong Kong government's um, startup event in, in Hong Kong. And it was interesting because, you know, they as a, as a government body can't endorse a human being directly. So Simon Squibb itself is not, they can't say Simon Squibb, let's put him on billboards and, and share who he is. They much prefer to have a company, you know, like, so it's Bloomberg, it's it was, uh, uh, Reuters, CNN and the Good Luck Club, you know, which I'm quite proud of to, to be uh, up there, you know, as one of those brand names. But they wouldn't be doing like Bloomberg, CNN, Simon Squibb. 
you know. So it's just something to keep in mind in, 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 your, in your setup and what, what, work, what works best. Um, and then don't, don't let money be the excuse for, for, for not growing your business and, and, and starting your business or scaling your business. I think money is sometimes the excuse and, and often it's, it's not really money, it's effort or purpose is missing. Um, if you have purpose in the middle of the business, then, then things scale and money comes. And Mark Zuckerberg uh, had an interview in 2004, I was just watching it recently, his first interview really, um, and he just raised 11 million US dollars for Facebook, so he suddenly was on the radar and then people were asking him, what is this? And he was asked, how did you um, get the money? And he, you know, very kind of nerdy way said, oh, they just kind of turned up and wrote us a check. You know, because if you've got a killer, killer idea <laughs> um, and the right team and a strong purpose, um, people will find you. And, and so money sometimes stops people getting to that point because they're so busy trying to get the idea perfect and trying to get uh, everything lined up. But they, but they think they need money to do all that and you don't. So uh, my wife thought it was funny. My wife helped me lay out this presentation. She thought it was funny, this picture, because it looks like I'm actually on the toilet. Totally, probably an inappropriate comment. But, but yeah, so go and have a break if you need to, guys. We'll stop for five minutes. But uh, while everyone who needs it goes and has a, a break, anyone that wants to ask a question or come on screen and say hello, um, feel free. And I will have a look to see. Does anyone want to? What if I'm scared to leave my high-paying job is a question I have. Um, I mean, ultimately, I, 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 this is a fear for a lot of people. You know, the question is, what if I'm scared to leave my high-paying job? And I do believe that the uh, job itself, well, if you enjoy the job, then, then that's fine, that's one thing. But I feel like a lot of the time, it's a bit like, um, you know, the saying always is, if you, on your deathbed, you only regret in life what you don't do. So if you quit that high paying job and you go and try to do something for yourself and it doesn't work, if you're in a high paying job right now, you can get another high paying job. And so I actually think it's, it's no risk. There's no risk for you. I, I can talk for myself. I, I, if I start a business that doesn't work, I, I mean, I wouldn't, maybe now I could, but I, I could never get a job. You know, like my first business, I, w I had no education. You know, I, I was not, no one was hiring me at PwC. I had to go build a company that PwC would buy. You know, kind of in a way that was good. I had no choice, and I, um, I, 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 uh, I think that's something to you know think about for yourself. Like, I wouldn't say just not only would I say leave that high-paying job and start a business right now. I would even try to imagine that you can never go back, which is even more fear if you're already scared. But that's actually what's going to make the business work. Um, you know, completely cutting off from the options to fail. Uh, your business doesn't work. Well, I just go back and get another job. But the truth is, you do have that. And that's actually a real benefit and absolutely the reason to quit right now and go and do your own thing. Especially if you've got an idea and you want to do it. You don't want to be on your deathbed and have regrets. So that, that's my quick view. Now, um, I'm still figuring out. Uh, I think I already answered it. So, uh, okay. So now, um, let me just have a look. Does anyone want to come on? Uh, raise your hand if you want to have a quick chat and I can bring you in. I think I can bring you in. Let me try, I haven't tried this. Um, chat, I don't know if it's chat, is it chat, how do I do it? Promote to panelist, let's try, okay, let's try. Maybe I need to come out the screen share, I don't know. Let's see. Hi Jim, are you there? 
Hi, Simon. Hi, how are you? Can you hear me? Yes, I'm doing fine, thank you. Trying to work my video. Oh, okay. Well, uh, welcome. Uh, no, no need, yeah, we're talking. Okay, Talk yeah, good. sure. Uh, well, um, how, how can I help you? Do you have a question? Um, you know, <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, talking about conflict resolution, uh, let's just, uh, a hypothetical, actually, in your case, you probably experienced it either in your own business or, uh, you know, as an investor, but what advice would you give either you have a co-founder, let's just say this, you have a co-founder and then you find out something about the, your co-founder that the co-founder intentionally omitted in the due diligence. Mm. It's not even a question of you overlooked it. And as you might tell, I've had this experience. Why? Yeah. I invested in a company. I invested <laughs> in this co-founder only to find out that there was a material omission that totally, had I known, I would never have invested. Hmm. Uh, without going into too many deta more details, what advice would you give? The business has a sound idea, but you learned something so material and you were so shocked about the omission and the person's moral compass that you begin to question how can you make this work. Hmm. Jim, I think it's a problem every entrepreneur has had. And uh, it's, it's why I mentioned moral code and, and these things uh, in, in anything I explain to people when it comes to building partnerships. And <clears throat> I, that, 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 the, the, the thing I would ultimately say about this is that, you know, people will always do things to surprise you. I've had it both ways. I've had people surprise me in a positive way and I've had people surprise me in a negative way. And I guess ultimately, you know, uh, you have to, I think, take chances with people and, and not let the, these people win if it changes you. <laughs> um, but if you're trusting, I think you've got to continue to be trusting. That being said, there are some lessons to be learned from, from big companies in this, this regard. So, for example, I'm not a fan of this brand, but this is what they do. Golden Sachs, they, they interview people 13 times before they, get, uh, they, they hire them. And I'm always shocked how quickly people get into business with each other sometimes without enough of that process, due diligence. And, and especially when it comes to partnerships. I mean, I mean literally like co-founder relationships or investor relationships. I think you've got to spend a bit of time with people. And what, what I used to do that used to help a lot was I used to go on long hikes with people I was about to invest in. Often, you know, two or three hour uh, hikes. And I would basically say to them, I'm going to hardly talk. You tell me everything I need to know about you. And you know, it's interesting when it happens because people often, they have stuff they want to share with you, but the moment's not right to share it. And so they need more time and context. And I've had three hour conversations and I can honestly say, I think I, I, I know some of these people better than I've known friends over 10 years because you have lunch together and you chat about this that, and the other, what's happening with the family and blah, blah, blah. You know, but if you can just let someone talk for three hours and you ask them to be honest and authentic, I don't know what issue you're talking about, but maybe it would have came out. You know, Excellent advice, Simon. No, yeah. no question. I probably would have ended up strangling the guy, but uh, yeah. at least uh, at least you wouldn't have got into yeah. business and accidentally, you know, got caught up in their world. And and you know, I I, I I do fundamentally believe, and maybe I'm still naive after all these years, but people ultimately do want to be good.
and, and they want to share the problem they've got going on, but they don't want to scupper a deal or, or hurt their own lives and so on. But if you give people enough room um, and ask them directly, and, and sometimes um, it can pop out. Otherwise, awesome. you know, you have to listen to your gut, right? I think that's the other thing. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Great th advice. Th thank, thank you Long very much. Walks. Thanks, thanks, Jim. Hope you're enjoying their webinar. I'll put you back to an attendee now. Uh, and I can see uh, Sarah. Sarah, I think we can do one more. Let's have a promote to panelists. Let's see. Hi, Sarah. Are you there, Sarah? Oh, okay. Doesn't seem like Sarah's tech is working. Are you there, Sarah? Happy to answer a question if you've got one. You put your hand up, so if you're putting your hand up, I'm just bringing you into the room. Um, but I don't think it's working. Okay, not working. Okay. Sarah, last chance, are you there? No, all right, I'll move you back to attendee, okay? Uh, and then... Oh, hi, Sarah, you're saying you're here in the chat. Um, do you have a question? Uh, okay, all right. Okay, so um, I think we'll move on to the, the final elements of today's chat. So let me go back to screen share. Hopefully you're all back from the toilet. It's interesting stuff, isn't it? Back from the toilet. Okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about funding your company. Now, I wanted to ask you guys, let's just, which funding your company? Okay, I want to know, this is an anonymous poll, so your name will not show up, because I know this might be slightly sensitive. Um, but um, I'm interested in knowing who, uh, who needs funding for their business right now. So your, your name won't show up. I won't know who's giving these votes. I just um, want to understand. Okay, board's great. Okay. Okay, good. All right, well then I, I think basically I'll, I'll cover it all um, and hopefully uh, it's useful to those that are looking for investment, that those that don't care and those that are maybe. All right, so let me... Um, That's the last of the polls, by the way, folks. You might be pleased to hear that. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, so... Okay. I, I want to first of all just say to anyone that's thinking of raising money that raising money isn't always a good idea. And I know in this day and age, it feels like the PR you see is this person raised 100 million, that person raised 100 million. But I promise you, and I've been involved in this, I've seen it, um, those people that just raised 100 million are not having an easy life because of it. They may well have had the money element uh, taken care of, but they have a whole new set of pressures on them. Now, that doesn't mean to say, back to my earlier point, you know, you've got to think big. I'm not saying don't think big. I'm saying that there's plenty of ways to get to a destination that don't involve um, other people's money. That said, I do think raising money can bring benefits. You can have um, a lot of strategic support if you raise money. In fact, the people that have said, no, they're not raising money, I, I could counter-argue and say, I bet you the right investor can add huge, huge value to your business. 
back to the point that 100% ownership in something that isn't working really isn't worth anything. But if you give 5% to an investor and suddenly they transform the business by, for example, becoming your client or your partner or whatever, then, um, then, then it can make a huge, huge difference to, to your business. So having no investors is sometimes a, a, a weakness. Um, and sometimes having too much uh, money from investors can be a big problem. Um, too much money in your business might not compute as a problem. And, and so, so anyone out there is raising money, a few of you said you are, or interested in, be very careful with this. People don't understand, why wouldn't I raise as much money as I can? And here's, here's why. Certain types of businesses, there is a process. So for example, it's you know, family and friends, um, seed, um, series A, series B, series C, pre-IPO. That, that's generally the investment process. If Mark Zuckerberg had raised too much money for Facebook in the early stage of that cycle, then he would have lost serious amounts of control and money and, and, and equity. And so you, know, you want to raise the right amount of money at the right time. And this is an area people get very confused about. Equally, I think you want to raise the money ideally from the right people um, at the right time. And so there are certain people that are very good at helping in the early stages of a business. I put myself in this category. There are people that are very good at helping you go IPO. I'm definitely not in that category. You know, there, there, are, there are certain types of, of investors that work at different stages. So you've got to make sure you leave um, within your structure the right, the right people, uh, space of the right people. Now, um, I would, outside of the pros and cons of raising money, I would, I would like to say there are, in my view, at least seven ways to scale a business with no money at all. And an example would be what I did in my first company is, you know, I, I basically knocked on people's doors and said, I'd like to take care of your garden. And they said, yes. And the following day, I went back with a little paper crappy contract and said, great, here's what I'm going to do. I want 50% deposit. And with that 50% deposit that people gave me cash, amazing to me, you know, looking back, <clears throat> I then went and bought all the equipment that I needed to, to actually do the gardens. Um, and so... <clears throat> If I perhaps uh, lived uh, in this time, it'd be like, you know what, I've got this gardening company idea, I'm gonna go raise a million pounds. And then I get somebody on my back who owns 25%, Dragon's Den style. Uh, and next thing you know, I'd, have, I'd be reporting to this Dragon's Den guy, um, and this investor, uh, and suddenly I'd have a boss by accident. And, and I'd be like, yeah, okay, we bought the equipment and now we've started selling like three months later. Instead, I did it the other way. You know? and, and, and what I'm saying is you can charge deposit. That's one way. Another way is um, uh, corporate deals. So I have opened up uh, a company office in a new market based on a corporate partnership. So in other words, the company will say, we want you to service us in this market and we guarantee you income if you come to that market. Again, they pay us 50% deposit. We go there or I've had cases where they pay us in advance the contract fee and then we open up an office there based on that, that deal with that, with that company. Of course, these days there's new income streams like YouTube, if you get enough subscribers, you can generate income from that. Crowdfunding, you, you, know, you can argue that's money, but um, I'm talking about you know, seven ideas for no money here, but crowdfunding can also be, I have a product and you're going to buy it in advance. And once you bought it in advance, I'm going to then send you the product. So actually no one's taking equity in your business. No, you're not, you're not raising money. All you're really doing is getting pre-orders for your product, but it can generate the cash flow if you do then make the product made and then ship it. 
The mistake a lot of people make in crowdfunding, in my view, is they don't raise enough within that cycle to actually ship to people. Because if you actually ship to people, then those people then review it, tell other people about it, and then you get a flywheel effect where then other people start buying it, and then that's it, you're up and running. Uh, and then people deposit trust. Crowdfunding, in my view, is all about trust. Once people have paid you the deposit, you've got to paid you for that product, you then got to deliver it to them, then they trust you, then they tell other people about you, and then you're flying. You probably, in theory, don't need to raise money again. The mistake people is they don't raise enough money, they can't deliver the product to people, and they get caught in a loop. Um, but if you get it right, you get crowdfunding right and you deliver, I think it's a great way of getting your business off the ground. You have no money. You've not brought in any money from an investor, but you've managed to get the business off the ground, right? Um, again, outside of crowdfunding, there is the advanced order model. So I have, again, um, started a business where I, I, I did ads on coasters. So we, it was called Coaster Ads, very original. It was actually a very original idea. We took out Heineken coasters and Carlsberg coasters and we put in brands like United Airlines and HSBC on coasters and put them in bars all across the world. Um, and, but, but we also got pre-orders. So we not only did we take, you know, um, United Airlines bought an ad on our coaster and we put it in the bar and restaurant in Chicago and in the bar and restaurant in Hong Kong and told people they could fly between the two locations. So they bought the coaster with them, they get a free drink, you know, and have that interesting, fun interaction marketing piece. We also got hundreds of thousands of coasters ordered by United Airlines, which they then distributed on their planes and their give out materials and their marketing at their own events. Uh, and, and they paid us in advance for that order. So in other words, you know, they paid us for, in the end, millions of coasters um, before we'd even delivered them. And I can still remember the, the day they, they paid the invoice. I hadn't even finished the production in the, the production factory. You know, and, so we, and the factory gave us 60 days credit, which is by, by the way, another way. You know, you get, you get credit from people. So I got paid by United Airlines. I then had 60 days credit with the manufacturer and then I could pay the manufacturer. So not only was, you know, did I have cash flow from nothing, I had the ability, and interest rates weren't too bad back then, um, out in Asia anyway, now they're rubbish. But, um, but you know, you can make 2 or 3%, 4%, 5% interest on that money over the next two, three months before you had to pay on the credit you've managed to achieve. And that alone can become a business. So... Um, no. And then bridge loans is another one. A lot of banks now do this. If you've got an order from someone um, and you can go to the bank and show it's a legitimate company made a legitimate order and you just need the money to do the, the production side to then deliver, you can get bridge loans. Um, and they're very common in the manufacturing distribution world. And that's just ideas on how to start a business with no money. Ways to raise money, it was also pretty interesting. So if you do want to raise money for those that said they're looking to raise money, I'm sure you know a lot of these, but there's, there's amazing sites out there nowadays that can help you do this. Um, things like Angel List, which I'm, I'm an investor in their fund, so I'm biased, I do think it's quite good. Um, but you can go on these sites and, and you can see um, quite quickly um, you know, who is invested in what and who, who you need to reach out to. Of course, friends and family, the easy way to raise money. I, I, I don't always recommend it. I have a slight caution on it sometimes. Um, back to Jim's point, you know, you can sometimes fall out with people, you know, even in family situations, you find out about them. So you've got to be a little bit careful, but it can be a great way. Of course, we all know about VCs and, and, and the institutions that invest in businesses. Corporate investors is something sometimes is overlooked when people are raising money, but I've seen a lot of money come in to startups from corporates. And so they, they do have these days most often a strategic investment arm. So for example, Google have something called Google Ventures, very, very active, invested in a lot of businesses. And they, um, you know, that's a corporate arm VC, but a lot of people miss them and don't, don't approach them or don't know them. And of course, um, 
last and probably least, uh, equity crowdfunding is another method in which to raise money. And, and I think for, for a lot of people, I, I actually think all of those options I just mentioned, if you want to raise money, are worth pushing the buttons on and see. People always have fear of the crowdfunding campaign not working, for example. So what if it doesn't work? You don't try, you won't know. Um, and, and, and lean into fear. So investors are good and bad, having them, I mean. Sometimes hard times are good, a good thing. And, and what I mean by that is um, I, I actually have seen a lot of businesses that are seriously well-funded dive and businesses that have no funding do really well. And the reason is um, the people that are not well-funded are a little bit more scrappy. They have to adapt and change to survive, and which means they often listen to their customers more. Um, and people that get well-funded, I've seen it, they sit in their ivory tower and they look down at the well-funded empire and they don't really know what's going on because money's made, it, um, made them lose touch. I would put WeWorks in this space, by the way. You know, I feel like they, they had a good idea, but they, you know, they got so well-funded that it was all the headlines were about how much money they were worth and how much money they'd raised. And they kind of forgot you know, to get back into the detail of like, what people actually need. Um, they're doing that now, I think, but it might be too late. But the point is that raising lots of money is not always a good thing. And then all your PR is about how much money you've raised and it's not about what the business does because it's actually about what the business does. Um, and I'm a firm believer in this concept of you know, burn the boats, which is a Greek thing about if you're going to go and do something. I mentioned it earlier, but you know, if you're going to go do something, you kind of need to be totally committed to it. So you know, whoever asked that question about you know, quitting your job, that point really, don't think you've got something else to go back to because you will, it will be hard at the beginning. I always tell people, going to work for someone else is really easy at the beginning, in my view. Like they provide you with a salary and a comfort and all that. And then slowly over time, it gets more and more painful. Management change come in, you have new people you have to deal with, and culture changes, this changes, that changes, and you have to try and adapt to all that. And then eventually you can just get fired at the end of it. Um, for whatever reason. Whereas, uh, so it's really painful at the end, really easy at the beginning. When you work for yourself, it's completely the opposite. It's so painful at the beginning, that's why so many people are fearful to do it, but over time it gets so much more rewarding as time goes on, especially if it works. Um, but a lot of people can't go through that pain at the beginning because they've got a boat they can get back onto and sail back to the comfortable life they had in a job. So I always tell people, if you're going to do this, burn the boat that got you to the island. Once you're on this island, you are going to make it work. You can't go back to the comfortable life you had before. This is it. And you'll never regret it if you burn that boat. But if you've got any option, it's a bit like me. I love food. If I have chocolate in the house, I eat it. So key is no chocolate in the house. And then I don't eat it. Um, and I feel like in entrepreneurship, similar, you know, just burn that boat. If you're going to do it, do it. Don't think about any other options. This is it. It's all you've got. Okay, we're coming to the end so, soon, guys. Uh, so um, hopefully uh, we're on time. We're, we're getting close. Um, brand building. Now, I can go on about this for quite a while, but I'll keep it simple today. I think that um, the biggest thing, the most important thing to remember about branding, um, I do think it gets overlooked by a lot of people. It's almost seen as an afterthought. Oh, yeah, let's get a logo done um, as quickly as we can. And, and people don't spend enough time on brand. I'm completely obsessed by brand. I'm obsessed with it because brand can set its own price. And if you focus on my big thing in life is this concept. If you want to be successful in life, you have to buy time, don't sell time. And you, if you're an individual, you end up selling time. If, you, if you're a brand, you can buy time. 
and and basically a big part of this is um, you've got to build a business, not you've got to build a, a brand, not a business. And if you look at you know the, the world is littered with examples, you know, like Apple for example. Probably Apple products are not the best product. They they're not. I mean, we know that to be true. The phone features and all these things they're not. They're not. But they have built a brand of trust, of innovation, look and feel, style, ecosystem that makes that they can set their own price. I mean, the iPhones are a thousand pounds. You know, like uh, Samsung, these guys, it's like, you know, they said we're going to launch a phone for a thousand pounds. They kind of get laughed at. But they worked on brand and brand building beyond everything else. Um, and one thing I think that can be really interesting to think about in this, in this particular um, uh, space is... I think there's three options when building a brand. The, the first option is you, you, you lead your company under a personal brand mantra. So, so it, in my case, it's Simon Squibb. Uh, let's pick a more famous case. Steve Jobs. You know, Apple, initially, it was Steve Jobs. He was the front of that company. He, he defined what Apple was by his keynote speeches, the way he presented new products. His kind of almost arrogance was part of the brand. He's different. His customers are different. He doesn't accept that, you know, you've got all these buttons on a keyboard right now. He wants one. It happens. He makes it happen. That's what his, he, he thinks his, his customers are like. They, they just, they don't know what they want. He doesn't ask them necessarily what they want. He's going to give them what they want because he knows what they want. And that personal brand, that Steve Jobs brand is what built the Apple brand. So you can go the personal brand route. The way a lot of companies actually go these days um, is like the Canon approach, right? So what Canon do is, I mean, their brand is, you know, you love it or hate it in the camera world, it's quite respected. And it's respected because what they do is they, they are a company called Canon that make products. And in things like cameras, they then bring in what they call brand ambassadors for, for, for that, that product. So Canon, for example, work with a, a well-known photographer called Peter McKinnon, and he, you know, he basically is the guy that you know takes pictures of him taking pictures, and is holding a Canon camera and talks about the product and is the ambassador for the product. But he's a well-respected photographer. He is a brand, and people um, elevate or you know want to be him or, or aspire to be him or, or respect and love his work, and that translates into kudos for Canon if he endorses them, supports them, or is their brand ambassador. So that, that's the second way to, to go, which is, you know, you are a company and maybe you're leveraging other people's brands to enhance your own. And, um, and the third way, I guess, is a mixture of the two. Um, it's slightly dangerous, but can be powerful as well. So a, a, a good example, a bad example of, of, of mixing the two. A good example, I think, uh, is the Steve Jobs Apple example. I think he's, they've mixed the two now. Um, Apple do not really endorse people, however, but they, they definitely have you know, built a brand on the back of Steve Jobs. Oprah Winfrey is a good example. She has a personal brand, and then she's taken that personal brand and translated it into own her own TV network and, and online magazines and this and that. You know, she's leveraged her own brand and then taken that and built company brands. That's a good example of a personal brand. A bad personal brand example is Lance Armstrong. You know, hopefully you guys will still know him, I'm not sure. The age group, but Lance Armstrong, of course, was a brand himself. You know, an incredible athlete, and then on the back of Lance Armstrong, the brand, um, he you know he built a lot of businesses, 
um, Live Strong being one of them, which is actually a charity-linked uh, brand. And of course, when Lance Armstrong got into trouble for lying about uh, what he was up to, that affected his company brand. So this personal brand approach can, can, can be very dangerous. Um, but yeah, I think again, you've got to pick one of the three options. And so I wanted to ask you guys out of interest, um, which option you go for. So are you thinking about this as a personal brand, as a business brand, or are you thinking of going with both? Okay, any more votes? Five, four, three, two, one. No more votes, more votes? No more votes? Are you at the kettle listening to this? Want to run back and give me a vote? Okay, so, okay, fine. Yeah, I mean, both is tricky. Be careful with both. Uh, and and I, I always say to people, initially pick one or the other. Push the personal brand element and the company is the back burner or the company at the front and you are the back burner. Even what I'm doing now, I have my Simon Squibb says kind of stuff, this stuff where I am saying what I think. And then I have the Good Luck Club brand, which is what other people have to say. And I debate my opinions with them and, and so on. But it gets confusing on the marketing side sometimes because unless you've got a lot of resources, which I'm lucky enough to have, but, but, but basically there is an element of like, are we promoting the Good Luck Club or are we promoting Simon Squibb? And yes, there's cross-pollination, but you, you can get confused sometimes as a business. So for those of you are picking both, be, be, be planned out carefully, you know, be well resourced around this. And you know, I, I have personally in the past always focused on the company brand. And one of the main reasons for that is, and it's different for me now, but back then uh, in previous businesses, maybe I wanted to sell the company, okay? Maybe, um, and, and, and you know, unless you're gonna go IPO, which is not that easy, if I had built a company, my last company was called Fluid. And if I called it Simon Squibb Creative Agency Limited, then people, when, they, when PwC bought that business, one, I'm not sure they would have bought it, uh, and two, uh, in a way, they, they would be buying, you know, they wouldn't, they'd be buying me, my name. So there's very few people that have managed to wiggle out of this. You know, David Ogilvy, Ogilvy is one of them. Um, but, but generally, uh, you've got to be very careful with the personal brand business side. Um, but it seems like the votes have gone down on that now anyway. But, but, but both is dangerous. If you get too personally connected to the business, then it's very hard later for you to sell the company and, and, it's, and people see it as having value other than you personally uh, being involved. So, so just watch out both time and, and uh, how you promote it. Very important to get that, get that right. Okay. That is the last poll, by the way. I realise there's one more poll. That was it. There's no more polls. We're coming to an end. Coming to an end very soon. So conclusion on this one: focus on the core values when when building a brand. Get get them listed. Write them on the wall. Make sure you know what they are. You know, for me, it's like authenticity, transparency, trust, knowledge. These are my core values. Um, build a brand, not a business. Buy time, don't sell time. And I suggest, if you can, if you're new to the game, for sure, just pick one route, um, either personal brand supporting a business or a, a company brand 
um, supporting a business, maybe with some um, support endorsements from, from brand ambassadors, for example. Okay, marketing. Uh, this is a big <clears throat> subject. This was one of the subjects that was quite uh, popular in the original questions I asked you in the early point. So um, I think on the marketing front, um, I can go on for a while and um, we are running out of time. So I, I want to keep this on time today. So um, the marketing piece, I'm gonna run through the basics, but if anyone here wants more marketing, I'm happy to spend some time with you on that. Um, I think marketing itself on, on a basic level has got, has become a little bit um, confusing for people. One of the problems, of course, is that there's so many different ways to market your business. And as a marketing person myself, through and through, you can be permanently marketing 24 hours a day. There's always something you could be doing on the marketing front, and if you're not careful, you can get very tired. So, um, and, I, and I do think that sometimes it's got lost what marketing is. So, you know, I take the example of a, of a window cleaning company, and, you know, um, or let's take the gardening company that I, I built, you know, as, as a probably more direct relevant example. Um, most people would, as like I said earlier, raise money, go then start a marketing campaign. Does anyone want to get their garden taken care of? They would advertise in the local magazines, they maybe do a flyer drop, uh, and then, you know, they, if they're really well funded, maybe they do some, you know, YouTube ad, the savvy, and hope to catch people like that. Marketing, 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 marketing. And what did I do? I went and knocked on the door of a messy garden and said, hi, uh, would you uh, like me to take care of your garden? You know, marketing is not that complicated. You can let it get very complicated. And I know we all want, you know, um, digital to work for us, but don't forget the basics. So I often say to people, for example, you know, don't, don't think old stuff is not useful anymore. You know, just walking up to someone and saying, hi, you know, I'm a photographer, you know, could you like me to take some pictures of you? As crazy as that might sound, you know, you, you say that to 10 people, you'll get one customer. But you, you, you post up a post on social media today, it doesn't mean you'll get anybody. You boost, you boost that post. Millions of people like it in some faraway land. It doesn't mean anything. You know, so I, I always have this about my marketing. I'm not necessarily trying to reach millions of people. I, I'm trying to reach one person, give them something useful, and, 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 and that makes it worth my time. You know, so, but for some people, it's like they've got to have a million views to make the, the video they've made worth it. I don't feel that way. I feel like I'd rather have 50 views from 50 people that are able to take that knowledge and go and apply it and then hire people from that knowledge they've just gained. You know, like that's enough. Of course, I'd also like a million people to see it, but, that, but the million right people, that's marketing, people get confused. And so, of course, that's why there's big business in things like, um, you know, farms that allow you to get millions of followers, basically pay them to get the followers. I mean, it's all soulless and pointless and ego-based. So first thing I say about marketing is sometimes just you know, come back to the basics. And then for me, the most important thing in marketing actually is kind of sales. And, and, and sales is such a straightforward thing. And I, I love sales, a lot of people don't like sales, but sales is the opposite to what most people think it is who aren't in it. Sales is about being honest. Um, I, I always tell people, you know, when you're selling stuff, you know, people try to do tricks like one ninety nine. You know, or buy this now, get fifty percent off. And I feel like that's the wrong sales. I think sales is actually about being genuine. It's like saying, yeah, this costs two pounds. I'm not going to treat you like an idiot and tell you this is one ninety nine and hope that somehow that psychological penny changes your mind. I think that's all bullshit. I, I know it's baked into the system, but it's not. It's not genuinely good marketing, if you ask me. Buy one, get one free. I'm like, really? You know, there's no free. Of course, it's not free. It's a trick. 
So, you know, again, some people preach to you that that is marketing and that's good marketing. It's not. I don't think so. I think the holy grail in marketing for me in most businesses is referrals. If you can get other people to talk about you, even for me, if you've enjoyed this event today, you've had some use, the best marketing I've ever have is you going and telling people about that or you um, suggesting to people that they join my next event, you, you, know, you guys um, and, and marketing for me because you want to, not because I'm asking you to or I'm paying you to, because you want to. That is the most powerful marketing we could ever have. So you know, yes, I can go and boost that I've got an event and try and target people that are starting businesses, but I'm, I know from my life career history that referrals are the most powerful and people don't spend enough time working on the existing people they've got helping those people, supporting those people, so they refer you. And, and they're forever you know, using marketing to find new clients instead of using marketing to look after existing ones. And then on things like social media, and I'm a bit of a hypocrite on this, uh, but this is actually what I believe. Uh, I think you need to master one social media platform first before you know, diving onto all of them. Um, I, I'm not following that rule myself, <laughs> partly because I like learning new stuff, like I'm, I'm on TikTok now, and you know, part of me, you know, I, I, I'm not a master on it, but I'm figuring it out. But you've got to go, early adopters anyway, you've got to go and try. But I do think, I do recommend in marketing, you can get so overwhelmed with marketing. Uh, I'm helping my wife with a new business right now and she's picked one social media platform in which she will really work hard on producing content and supporting for to make sure that, that we get true uh, large-scale engagement on that one social media channel. And then when that works, then you perhaps scale up into other ones. And I do think it works. Just jumping back to sales for a second as well. You know, a lot of people when, when marketing, it is sales and people get the wrong idea. You know, I think social media is sometimes something like this to me. You walk in a pub or, you know, in England, pubs are very popular. You walk, you walk in a music venue and you, as soon as you walk in that music venue, you shout, hello, I'm here, everybody. I'm really interesting. Do you want to come and see me? You know, and, and that's kind of what social media is like. And a lot of people are like, oh God, there's that guy again. You know, and they kind of close off, right? And I actually think the best way to sell is, is discovery. So the best way is to go into that pub uh, and, and basically you know, start chatting to people and understand what's going on in, in here and find out what those people need and what they're about. And, and then eventually you can figure out what you're doing and whether or not, one, you're in the right pub, <laughs> and, and two, whether or not uh, what you've actually got is what people really need. And, and then you can start having conversations about it once you've understood people. So uh, I uh, did this to my colleague Talia earlier, and I would say that this whole thing in um, The Wolf of Wall Street, which is a great movie as well. Um, if you're a kid, don't watch it. But, you know, for adults, it's good. Um, and, and he has this thing about, like, sell me a pen. And, and uh, people that watch this movie still don't get this point, right? It's, it's like, most people, when you give people a pen, and you say, sell me this pen, they'll take this pen, and they'll go, well, it's really nice, it's expensive, it's silver, you want to buy it? I think you might like it, you know, it's, I think you need a pen. That's totally the wrong way to sell. You do not sell people a pen. If you're selling a pen, the first thing you do is you ask people, do you need a pen? And people forget to ask that question. And actually, if they say they don't need a pen, that's good. Don't waste any more time trying to sell them a pen. You can do a follow-up question is, do you have a nice pen? Yes, I do. Okay. But really, you know, uh, so many people will spend so much time selling, selling, selling without really actually understanding what sales really is. Sales is not selling, sales is listening. My most successful marketing hire ever was my accountant in my last company, which might sound crazy, you know. She was never trained in sales. 
if I'd hired her and said, welcome uh, to the company as my new accountant, you're going to be my number one marketing person, they would have like not taken the job. <laughs> but they were. Why were they the best marketing person? Because they were in charge of the company accounts and we used to help companies a lot of the time turn around. So she'd get involved in their accounts and then we would come up with good strategies to help those companies survive and succeed. And she as the accountant would see what we would do to transform the companies that we got involved in. And she was very proud of that. So when she would go and have lunch with her other CFO financial controller uh, friends, she'd be proudly talking about what we were doing to her, to her friends, just casually over lunch, over dinner or whatever. And then those people who are also not salespeople would go back to their office and they'd be having a chat with their CEO and the CEO would be talking about how sales numbers are down or this isn't working. And the, the CFO would say, you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine who, uh, they've got this, this company, they've been doing amazing things to help with things like this. Next thing you know, I get a phone call from the CEO saying, can you come in and, and, and talk to us about your business? So everyone's a salesperson, everyone's a marketing person. Don't overlook uh, where, where marketing can come from. And that, that's the basics I wanna make sure um, you guys pick up on. So conclusion to this section is, um, marketing is a mixture of purpose and brand message and core values. Everything we've been discussing today all interlinks. Partnerships is a really interesting way to market. I didn't go into this one too much, but you know, one plus one equals 11. Um, I guess what Canon and Peter McKinnick did together, you know, Canon's got three million followers, people McKinnick's got three million followers. If you can join together with brands in marketing, it can be quite powerful. Um, I've done that quite a lot, it works well. Uh, standing for something, stand together as a tribe. You know, I, I always use Nike as a great example. You know, they're, they're on the side of, you know, of, 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 of certain causes and I think it makes a big difference. So what do you stand for? You know, I, I, I stand for, I don't, wanna, I don't want people to have zombie jobs. I don't, I don't want to, you know, the government right now is funding people to have you know, zombie jobs. They'll pay companies to hire people, but once they stop paying those people, those jobs will be gone. They're zombie jobs. I'm not, on the, I'm not on the side of that. I, I stand for helping people become self-sufficient, self-reliant. It doesn't have to be Facebook, but a business of their own they can be proud of, or involved in a business of their own they can be proud of, and be self-sufficient, not reliant on other people. And that's what I stand for. And I think that's what brand, you have to have a position, you know? And I think it makes a huge difference. People are scared to do it because, you know, it could defect. People might not buy Nike because they don't believe that Black Lives Matter matters or it's the wrong side of history in their view. So they don't buy Nike. But Nike believes that uh, Black Lives do matter and it stands uh, behind that sort of statement. And I think that's, uh, I respect them more for it. It makes me want to buy their shoes, to be honest. Uh, don't, don't sell a pen and be social. I don't forget the basics. Uh, and everyone in, in, is, is in the marketing department. Okay, so um, coming to an end now, guys. Um, what is purpose and why does it matter? Um, I'm gonna play you a quick clip. Uh, okay, so this is a quick clip from Jack Ma. Jack Ma is the I think he's the seventh richest man in the world. He's 44 billion in the bank. He um, has uh, one of the top 10 companies in the world. Um, they're fluctuating all the time, so I can't tell you which one he is right now. But Alibaba, the company he founded, is now one of the biggest in the world. It's, it's bigger than Amazon. I mean, they, their trade, Alibaba, is two and a half times Amazon, just to give some context. So this guy, I'm about to play a clip from, he's the founder of this business. And this kind of sums up all the things I've been talking about today. 
he was asked to talk at a private conference that I was at in Hong Kong. Uh, and he talked to an audience of Credit Suisse people. And, and listen, listen to what he says. So when I started Alipay, people say, Jack, don't touch the financing sector because it's illegal, you may be in prison. And I, we told ourselves if we don't do it, the China e-commerce will always like a, like a chat room. Everybody say, it's a good thing, and I don't pay, you don't get the things. So I say, well, put me in the prison. Let's make sure that Alipay, the payment solution works. And people say, the payment solution is such a stupid idea. It's an escrow service. I pay you, hold the money, and you get the things. You pay the money. If you don't get the things you want, return the money. They say it's a stupid product. And I say, as long as it solves the problem, I like stupid things, you know. Let's make stupid things smart. Keep on improving every day. Today, we have over 800 million people registered using Alipay as the account. So, um, I think the learning here is it for me is a couple of points you know purpose matters because it drives you to take risk and risk matters because it, it, it brings out the fear instinct in you which drives you to achieve things and what Jack Ma is talking about there think about it he said I'm willing to go to prison to achieve my business's goal how many of you would be willing to do that you know, he knows that his customers need it. Yes, it's got issues around it, but he knows it. He's willing to do it. And that's, you know, leading into risk, leading into fear. And that's, his purpose is so big. He's, he, in his case, he revolutionized the e-commerce business in China. You know, he basically created a credit system that allowed people, that, I mean, most people don't have credit cards in China. You know, mo most people can't pay in advance. He created a whole credit system, a bank, by literally allowing people to deposit money into an escrow and allowing once a product was delivered for that money to be released to someone else, right? And it was, an, it was semi, you know, financially controlled by the banks in China and he could have gone to prison. They could have knocked on his door, he'd be arrested and he'd be in prison today for financial irregularities, probably how they put it. But if your purpose is strong enough, you will push through pain moments like that. Um, there's plenty of stories around this, like, the Uber founder, Travis, who I was lucky enough to meet, told me a story about how um, he got a cease and desist letter when he first started Uber because he was um, competing with taxis and he didn't have a license. And so he was actually scared and was thinking of stopping and doing another startup completely. But there was another company called Lyft, who he, um, he was friends with the founder and they basically had a chat and he said, I'm going to take a risk if, you know, I'm not going to listen to this letter we've got from the council. And, and, and so Travis, followed suit and instead of shutting the business down like he thought he should because um, he didn't want to go to prison for you know operating an illegal taxi service um, he, he, he carried on we all know you know turned into a 50 billion dollar company and, and like it or like or not like it Travis himself made 8 billion US dollars from that business so pushing through fear um, and part of what Travis used to say about Uber was I want to fix the transport system I think public transport's rubbish and I want to give people the chance to have a limo experience at a fraction of the cost and it was very purposeful to him. I can reduce traffic congestion because we can do shared cars. What's the point of people having an individual car, one person all driving into a central city? 
you know, when you could be four people in a car sharing and Uber can provide that. He, he believed he was saving the planet by reducing congestion. He believed he was fixing the public transport systems, which in most cities is overloaded. And so, you know, it was bigger than him. He was willing to go to prison for it. And that's why purpose matters. So purpose of life is a life with purpose. Uh, purpose is key to getting luckier in life. And purpose equals destination. So that, I was asked that question earlier, what is a destination? And sometimes it is your purpose, it is your mission. So that's it, guys. I think, we're, um, I think basically that's it. I, I wanted to touch on health and well-being. Um, I, I, I think this is something a lot of people overlook, uh, including myself at points. I quite like this graphic about where are you in the tree? Are you, you, know, are you number one, number two, number three, all the way up to number 20? Guy at the top, number 20, he's made it, he's happy, he's got all the balance. But you know, which one are you? You've got to keep an eye on your health. I can send you a link to this later because we've overrun now. So we're, running, we're a couple of minutes overrunning here, so I don't want to keep you guys. Um, but I can send you this link later if you think it's useful. But just keeping an eye on your emotional state, both mental health and physical well-being. Um, don't overlook it in the pursuit of building your dream company. Um, so yeah, please, please keep an eye. Take holiday. Um, you know, to get some balance where you can. Balance is a tricky old word, but you know, I always say with balance, it's like I tell my wife, today I'm doing nothing but work, and then tonight I'll, you know, I'll be able to hang out. You know, that that to me is balance. You know, where you basically have a clear communication about what you're doing. Um, now um, we are out of time, um, but I'm I'm okay for another five minutes or so. Personally, if you guys have questions um, or, or want to know more or a bit like earlier want to jump in and, and, and say a few words. Um, I, just before, um, I, you know, if you've got questions, please ask them. I'll look in the Q&A section now. If you put your hand up, raise your hand. There's a button on this system. You can press a button to raise your hand if you want to come on stage, um, this virtual stage, and, and say a few words and ask a question. You, you're more than welcome. Um, I would just ask a big favor, um, just before we get into the final Q&A uh, stage, if you guys have enjoyed this content today, if you found it useful, I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to my YouTube channel. And I'd really, really appreciate it if you went on LinkedIn and gave me a referral um, and, and said that you found uh, my talk today useful. And, 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 and that would be really amazing because I'd like to do more of these free talks for people. And half the time, um, people don't know that it's, a, it's worth their time to join. So, so you, guys, you guys joining today, and if you have got value, um, I, I'd be really grateful so that more people in the future um, are also um, aware of, of, of this sort of um, facility, I guess. Um, so that, that would be, a, 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 I'd be really grateful if you did that. So yeah, I have been talking nonstop for two hours now. Um, so I'm, um, I'm hoping uh, I've given you guys some useful background. Now, let, let, let me know if anyone here, and I'm just checking, anyone here has any questions? And I can see some questions coming up. Let me just figure out. Put up your hand if you want to come on stage and ask a question. Otherwise, I'll just do it in the Q&A section. Okay, hi, Anthony. Um, I am being made redundant. My redundancy money will only cover my bills for a few months. Is this a good time to start a business for me at the age of 57? Oh, Anthony, thanks for um, not making that anonymous. It's private and I appreciate you sharing your, your, your situation. Um, I... I want to be cautious. I'd need more context to give you kind of a really relevant answer. And actually, you can reach out to me after this. I'll be happy to have a deeper chat with you because I think it warrants. Thank you so much for joining today's webinar. I hope you found this content useful. If you would like to join my future webinars or would like to know more information about how to start a business, how to grow a business, 
and how to build a life with purpose, then please visit simonsquibb.com and drop me a comment or let me know how I might be able to help you in the future. Thank you for listening to our How to Start a Business podcast today.